Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Last Born in the Wilderness. If you want to learn more about this project, you can go to the website lastborninthewilderness.com. Everything you need to know will be at that website. You can find a link to that down in the description. And everything I'm going to mention is going to be on the website and down in the description of this episode. If you'd like to support this work, there's a few different ways to do that. Of course, you can just subscribe to this podcast. I have it streaming from several uh, platforms. So if any of those are your preferred platforms to listen to podcasts. And if you want to share that with anyone in your life that would benefit from the interviews on this podcast, any of the topics or things discussed in these episodes, feel anybody would actually benefit from that, please feel free to share. That'd be really, really great. If you want to support this project monetarily, there's a few different ways to do that. First is just through a one-time donation through the PayPal link. You go to paypal.me slash lastbornpodcast. You can leave me a few bucks through that. It's a bit like a tip jar if there's any particular episode that you like from this podcast. If you like this episode, for instance, you can just throw a few bucks my way. That would be really, really helpful if you did that. And if you want to support this project more regularly, if you really want to sustain this work on a regular basis, you can do so through Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash lastborninthewilderness, and there you can make monthly contributions to the production of this podcast. You can do as little as a dollar or more a month. And you'll gain early access to these interviews before the official public release. And you'll also get other extras on that page as well. Every interview I do ultimately is released publicly. But I just have a few other extras that I throw on uh, my Patreon page for my patrons as a way to thank them for supporting this work. And I do really have to thank my patrons for supporting this work, for contributing to the production of this podcast. It means everything that people are choosing to support this work. So thank you so very much for doing that. Uh, One last thing I want to say is, as I have this feature in the podcast where if you want to drop me a line, which is you call this phone number, you can leave up to a three-minute message through that phone number, uh, and uh, I can feature at the beginning of these podcast episodes. If you want to call that phone number, it is 208-918-2837. That is 208-918-2837. You can also look down in the description, and you'll see that phone number down there. And I actually received an email recently from somebody who actually sent me audio recording that they had done as a drop me a line call. They sent it to me through email because they live outside the United States and it is more expensive to do it if you're outside the United States. So if you go to my contact information on the website, uh, you'll find it there on the website. You'll see the contact tab at the top of the page. You'll find my contact information. And through that, you can we can work out a way for you to send that message to me if you live outside the United States and you want to be included in this, of course. So there you go. Thank you so much for listening to me up to this point. Here's the episode. In this episode, I speak with Francisco Sanchez Bayo. Francisco is an environmental scientist and an ecologist. And as of the uh, recording of this interview, he had just left the University of Sydney and now works for the Department of the Environment in Australia. Francisco is the lead author of the paper, Worldwide Decline of the Entomofauna, a Review of Its Drivers. So essentially in this paper, which was actually published and uh, got a lot of coverage, I think, in, in the press, which was great. Um, that's how I became aware of it. Um, basically, what, what it is, it's a, it's a review, it's a survey, uh, which he and his other and the other authors of this paper, they review, I think it is 73 studies into insect population decline around the world. 
in various regions around the planet, we're seeing really dramatic declines in insect populations um, that include pollinators, which of course are incredibly vital if you want to look at it from a very human-centric or anthropocentric perspective. Pollinators are incredibly important for food production, and not just for food production. It's, it's, they're, they're huge. They're a big part of the food web in general. Uh, so we can look at it from that perspective as well. So what we're seeing is a, a really dramatic decline in insect population around the world, and it is in great part because of the way in which we conduct agricultural production in this time that we're in. Agricultural production requires really excessive amounts of pesticides, of herbicides, of various chemicals and fertilizers that are there to maximize agricultural production. And it's not just the use of chemicals. It's also the fact that agriculture requires land, more and more land as time goes on, for the economic incentive that's, of course, tied to that, to expand uh, agricultural production into some of the most biodiverse regions on the planet. So more and more land is being converted from being uh, places that are again, biodiverse, into becoming places that are used exclusively for agricultural production. So that, of course, is cutting into it as well. And he also ex- explains that climate change is aggravating a lot of these uh, impacts as well. It's making a, a, a dent in the population as well. And it's only going to get worse, of course, as abrupt climate change continues unabated. So these are all on the table, right? We're, we're examining extensive research and his survey of all of this information. This is the first time that there's ever been a study like this, where they have taken all these various studies from around the world and have put them together and have recognized that over 40% of insect populations are at risk of extinction. And that if this continues at the rate that it is, we could see literally the mass extinction of most of the insects on the planet within a century. I mean, that is huge. You want to talk about one of the the factors that could potentially lead to human extinction, that is it. And not just human extinction, but the extinction of many of the other life forms on this planet. I mean, insects are so vital. And why have we not understood how badly insect populations have declined up until the present moment? Um, They've been overlooked for far too long. And so that's what we discussed, is how we're coming into this awareness now that our agricultural practices are obviously, for so many reasons, completely unsustainable, um, does not jive well at all with any of the other living systems of this planet, and that if we're going to move forward as a species in just to survive, we're going to have to move to something completely different than what we have now. Francisco just does a fantastic job of explaining all this information, and so I really thank him for taking time to speak with me. Uh, This is a rather short interview, but I feel like we covered all the information that we needed to cover in about 30 to 40 minutes. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Francisco, for taking the time to speak with me on this subject. I think this is so incredibly important. Francisco, as far as learning more about his work, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put links to various articles that talk about the loss of insect populations, uh, insect decline uh, globally. There's several really big and very good, very well-written articles on the subject that I'll be linking down below in the description. I'll also be linking people to his paper, uh, Worldwide Decline of the Entomofauna, a review of its drivers. Um, there's several other interviews that that uh, Francisco has done for other publications that go over this information as well. And like I said, I'll be linking everybody uh, to those down in the description of this episode. So go check out this work. It's really disturbing. And if anything, this is should be motivating us to imagine other ways of living on this planet that do not require the eradication of entire insect populations. I think that would be a really healthy step for our species at this time. Thank you so much for listening to me up to this point. Here is my interview with Francisco Sanchez-Bio.
All right, Francisco, thank you for doing this. Um, you know, your no research, problem. your research uh, that you've done into worldwide insect population decline is, I think, really enlightening, but really disturbing as well. Um, I think when I started to see articles come up uh, that were uh, highlighting your research, um, it was the first time that I had really seen a worldwide um, examination of, of uh, pretty, pretty much a worldwide examination of, of where we're at regarding insect uh, population and, and decline of insects. I think most research that I've seen into in- extinction or, or loss of, of species has been into um, invertebrates or in invertebrates, I should say um, yes. not so much mm-hmm. in insects. And I just wanted to ask, you know, if you could just give us a basic summary of what you discovered in your research. Right. <clears throat> well, rather than research, our study is just a compilation of um, 73 studies that are done by other experts in okay. these matters all over the world. So it's, it's a review paper, basically. I'm ecologist, not entomologist, but because of my work with um, pest control in agricultural systems, I've been in contact with uh, many entomologists, so I know about the subject quite well. Okay. And so the reason why we started this review is precisely um, the observation that me and other um, researchers have pointed out for a long time that some groups of insects were coming down in numbers and distribution uh, in many parts of the world, not, not just in America and in Europe, but also in other areas, like here in Australia. Although here in Australia we don't have any published paper on the on the subject, uh, uh, researchers are aware of that, uh, and so that was what prompted us to really have a look and see. Well, let's see how this is um, really happening uh, in uh, with concrete uh, numbers, uh, with, with research done on, on specific groups of insects. And that's what we did. We searched for all the, the studies uh, that have been published in the public literature, of course, and uh, in different groups from butterflies to bees or uh, beetles and other insects, like aquatic insects, for example, dragonflies and many others. And, well, when we put all that information together, we realized, well, you know, the, the panorama is not really encouraging. It's just really and dramatic, and uh, we use the word catastrophic in in our paper once because uh, when you consider that 40% of all the species that we know um, have been studied are declining, it's catastrophic. If that happened among populations, we would think it's a huge catastrophe. No? Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, we had to apply the same um, terms to to insects and other animals. And as you pointed out, so most of the studies done on declines of animals have been done on vertebrates and iconic species and polar bears and, you know, all the pandas and rhinoceros and things like this. But but what about insects, which are, you know, perhaps more important from the point of view of the functioning of ecosystems? because they are the support. One of the two basic pillars that support the ecosystems are insects. The other one is the plants. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, it's amazing that people for this long have ignored how insect populations have been declining this dramatically. 
Um, I, I have said this numerous times and I'm not the first person to say this. I'm sure I got this from somewhere else, but you know, when you are driving down the road in your car and you have noticed over the past couple years or the past several decades, um, that insect splatter on your windshield, I mean, it's almost non-existent now. I remember, I'm not that old, but I remember when I was younger, that was a thing. I remember driving and you would have massive amounts of insects hitting the windshield and now it's like non-existent. And so I think there's like these really big, um, uh, you know, alarm bells going off basically like, oh, something is off here. What's happening here? Um, yeah. And so, you know, I I remember it was last year or uh, two years ago at this point, uh, before your research came out on this subject, I remember reading a few different articles about this where they had amateur um, entomologists uh, who, who I guess in Europe, I, I remember that one of the big studies that was being done was in Germany, if I remember correctly, um, yes, in, in Europe. Yeah. And they were showing that there was like, I, I could be wrong, please correct me, but I think it was like 80% decline or something dramatic like that. It was a really big decline. Yeah. yeah. And so that was just one region. And so, of course, I think many people after reading that were not only alarmed, but they're like, well, why isn't there more research being done into North America or Australia or South America or Africa or any of these other major continents? You know, why mm-hmm. why don't we have comprehensive data? And then not too long after that research came out, your research came out as well. Um, which shows, you know, what I, what I have seen is it's about what, 41%, is that right? In your research? 41%. Okay. So what is driving this decline? I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a combination of factors, but what are some of the big drivers in this extinction or the species loss? Yeah. Okay. Uh, as we point out in in our review, because of course, apart from pointing the numbers and the species that are declining and the ones that are increasing, some of them are increasing as okay. a result of the, the decline. Okay. Uh, the, we also analyze the drivers as as indicated by the authors of each one of the studies, obviously, and also our own personal observations. And we backed up uh, all those uh, drivers with other information that is available in the literature. Okay. Uh, the main driver is basically the, the loss of habitat. Um, many habitats, many ecosystems that we are destroying, starting from the tropical forest, obviously in the tropical areas, to the um, draining of wetlands in many developed countries and developing countries, uh, to the expansion of urban areas and industries which are taking over more and more land. So that loss of habitat, obviously, is the main driver, uh, as pointed out by all the authors. And together with that, uh, uh, one of the major factors of this destruction of habitat is the agriculture. The reason why many uh, tropical forests are cut down is simply because of agriculture and not just to, to get some timber for, you know, exporting to developed countries. It's also for agriculture, to get more land to grow soybeans or, or, or crops, like in Brazil, for example. Yeah, we know that. And in Southeast Asia, for example, the destruction of um, tropical forests is just something rampant, and just to plant crops, you know. So agriculture 
is the driver behind that. And together with agriculture goes the, the use of uh, uh, pesticides and fertilizers. And among um, the pesticides, obviously, the insecticides. And insecticides are chemicals designed to kill insects. So it just, I mean, no one can deny that pesticides, in particular insecticides, are having a huge impact. And it's one of the drivers for the declines of insects, okay? Uh, it's obvious. And then there are also other chemicals uh, which are toxic to insects, uh, industrial chemicals and um, uh, discharges from mines and industries that contaminate the, the waterways. And so all the insects that live in, in, uh, in rivers and ponds and lakes are affected by these chemicals. So that's, uh, but they are not as much affected as uh, by the pesticides and fertilizers. Because as I say, pesticides are particularly toxic to, the, to insects and they are having a huge effect. And I know that from personal experience because I've been working on this um, area for about 25 years and I can see the impacts of insecticides on, 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 on communities of insects at all levels. So it's undeniable. And then there's uh, just a, a host of uh, small drivers, uh, but uh, in some cases can be important. And for example, introduced species, it could be uh, animal species like possums in New Zealand, which have eaten up all the giant um, uh, beetles <laughs> because they are big, easy to spot, you know. So it's one of the, dri the, the drivers of so the decline of this particular group of beetles. And changes in livestock uh, management, for example, in Europe, have led to the decline of most of the dung beetles, which is incredible. Well, it's simply because uh, the dung of uh, the cattle and horses is not available anymore in the countryside. You know, that dung is either is um, collected and used for something else, for manure, or for or just simply buried or discharged in different ways. And the dung beetles don't have access to it. So therefore, the dung beetles are disappearing. And it's the group of insects which is declining ra most rapidly, dung beetles. And there is also some, to a small extent, um, some pathogens and parasites that affect some groups, like, for example, bees um, are affected by parasites. But that's it's only a small and finally, the climate change, obviously. And we don't know much about climate change because there are contradictory um, studies on that. Some of them have shown increase in the distribution of many species of insects due to uh, war global warming. And that's very easy to understand because most insects react positively to um, warming environments. And the highest diversity of insects is found in the tropics because it's a warm and, and humid environment that is is, is uh, favorable for them. But at the same time, <laughs> as many species are expanding, particularly in North America and Europe, and uh, which is where this effect has been observed, uh, in tropical countries it seems to have a negative effect, and it appears to be. Uh, a combination not just of uh, increasing temperatures, but also declining uh, humidity. As I said, uh, insects need warm temperatures, but also humidity. The, the humidity declines because it's drier environment, many insects cannot reproduce, and therefore they will go extinction. So it seems that in tropical countries, uh, climate change is a negative effect. So as I said, this is two, it's a, two contradictory uh, or contrary effects, you know, uh, that are... <laughs> benefiting some insects, but at the same time, they're affecting others. 
Okay. So it seems that the major drivers are uh, basically pesticides or, or insecticides, as you've said. That seems to be the, the, um, the big one. Agriculture. Agriculture as a, as a whole, as a package. Okay, because, okay. Uh, it's not just the uh, loss of habitat, that is loss of habitat together with contamination. Okay. With toxic okay. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it's it's the way in which we are conducting agriculture as a whole, right? Okay. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that overall, I mean, not just with insects, of course, but we've seen as a result of, uh, as you mentioned, in Brazil, I know that there's... Uh, you know, major projects to to deforest massive sections of the forest to make way for various crops, um, you know, and and that's having a huge impact on biodiversity, uh, you know, aside from just insects. I mean, just every species that exists in that region is being detrimentally impacted as a result of this, uh, these agricultural projects. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and so what, you know, you mentioned the dung beetle, but I think when we talk about like pollination, which is really a big deal, especially for, for agriculture, right? Our ability to grow food. Um, how is it, how is it impacting like pollination? Yeah, basically the same as the other groups. So we notice that there is no, <laughs> it's not any different from the declines in among butterflies or beetles or dragonflies. So bees are declining at the same rate as the others. Okay. And, for example, in Europe, uh, more than half half of the bees are in decline, and North America basically the same. So, uh, particularly wild bees, when we talk about bees, uh, some people, I mean, most people tend to think of the honeybees, which are the managed bees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> managed bees don't decline so much because the beekeepers try to replace the, the ones they lose every year, they try to replace them and because they want their business to continue, Okay. They're also declining, but not as much. And they're the ones which are affected most by pathogens and parasites. But the, the wild bees are declining at the same rate as the others. So, And that has a huge impact, as you say, on pollination, not only the crops, which are the ones that affect us more directly, but also all the other flowering plants in the ecosystem. Most flowers need pollination by insects of one species or another. And that's why there is such a huge diversity of bees. In Europe alone, there are 1,500 species of bees that we know. <laughs> North America, but probably the same number or more. You know, so it's, uh, it's a huge. And why there is so much diversity? Because they are very, uh, they are specialists, specialist insects that they only pollinate particular flowers, the ones that are um, adequate for their tongues or for their size. So there are big bees and small bees and all kinds of uh, sizes. And each one of them is adapted to a particular flower. So if they all are declining, so the flowers that depend on them uh, will disappear one day. And um, will be all the flowers that produce fruits, for example, peaches or apples or almonds, because they depend strictly on pollination by bees. So without them, there is no fruit. The, will, the, the trees will continue to, to grow for a while, and some, but if there is no bees, they cannot produce viable fruit. Okay? And that will affect many of our crops. About 70% of our crops are pollinated by insects, by bees and other insects. Mm. So we are about what you, the, your, um, your review shows about 41%. I mentioned that earlier of, of of species of law uh, of insect species have declined have gone extinct 
what is the rate of extinction year to year? Have you been able to measure the rate of loss year to year or or have you not worked that out yet? Yes, uh, we work it out. It's about 10%. 10%, uh, okay. On those species that are declining. But uh, that uh, has to be taken with a bit of <laughs> caution because uh, those studies are normally done in small countries, like, for example, the Netherlands or the Czech Republic, which are easy to study because... They are small in size, and there are many experts in those areas, so they can study very well. Whereas areas like uh, in North America, where you are, uh, those studies have been done only on particular states, like New Hampshire or um, uh, Illinois, or places like that, right. but not, not throughout the whole country because it would be an impossible task mm, <laughs> for yeah. anyone. So those extinctions are local extinctions, but still they are significant because uh, many of the species that are uh, going extinct and declining are rare species that only uh, live in particular areas. So if they are not found there, they can be be presumed extinct. So, but yeah, in general, the the rate of uh, extinction is about 10% overall. Okay. Wow. That is, that is alarming though. So, so at this rate, I mean, I mean, how many how many decades or years do we have? I mean, based on this, I mean, if we continue down this path, I mean, when do you expect that? Uh, I mean, uh, I, I don't expect that every single <laughs> species of insect would go extinct. No, <laughs> right? There's so many different kinds, and I, I know that. But but because insects are so important, they're so 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 important for the food web um, that they're going to, that I'm sure there are that this loss of species is already having a really dramatic impact on so many other uh, species, right. Already, Um, you know, how many, I know you can't predict these things with a certainty. And I know it's maybe unfair of me to put this on you, but based on your understanding, I mean, how, how many decades are we looking before we start to see really dramatic, not only loss of insect populations, but but our ability to even grow food or or anything like that? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, now I made your point. Um, yeah, some people have asked me the same question. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, yeah, in uh, in our paper, in fact, we hint that within a hundred years we will see almost the extinction of most insects. Uh, as you say, some of them will survive, and we know that at the same time as has 41% are declining, there is about probably 5 or 10% which are increasing, so th- those will benefit from the decline of the others. So, yeah, not all insects will disappear, but based on the information we have and the studies like the one in Germany and another one recently in Puerto Rico, um, that measured the decrease in biomass of flying insects the ones that you said that don't splatter our windscreens anymore, because it's true, because they're gone. Uh, we lost about 80% now in Europe and Puerto Rico, so which have two different regions of the world, and it's the same number. So if we extrapolate from that, we can certainly say that within 100 years, there will be less than 1% of the biomass of insects left. You know, I know extrapolation, which is not going to happen, but uh, because we can reverse it and because many things can happen, but uh, not all insects are going to disappear, and especially in some parts will continue to live in some remote areas. 
But, you know, that's an extrapolation that gives us an idea of the extent of the problem and that really we cannot be uh, doing things as we have done them until now. So we had to change something. And perhaps the, the first thing to change is uh, the way we do agriculture, as I said, because the main driver. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you, you know, you mentioned how we do agriculture is obviously it's the it's the pesticides the insecticides the chemicals that are being used that's a big part of it obviously clear cutting the destroying habitats is a big part of it um are there forms of agriculture that you have studied that you maybe even promote that doesn't do this i mean obviously we we and i'm speaking as an american i'm speaking as somebody that (laughs) eats food that is primarily grown in this way and produced this way but what forms of agriculture don't do this. I mean, what 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 forms of agriculture would you promote as an alternative to what we have now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Very good question. <laughs> That's how we finish our paper. So with the conclusions, we just advocate the change of agriculture from intensive agriculture, which is the one that really destroys all the habitat, eliminates trees, shrubs, weeds, everything and uses artificial fertilizers and artificial pesticides one year after another, you know, with mm-hmm. no no stopping. Um, we change, that's what we call intensive agriculture. It's not just in the United States, it's in most European countries, and it's here in Australia, it's the same. And it's in many other countries around the world, Brazil. And so the, the, the alternative, what is the alternative? Well, organic agriculture is one of them, but obviously organic agriculture doesn't produce as much as the other one because, uh, well, many factors. But the other one is what we call integrated pest management or sustainable agriculture. And that was, well, it was um, practiced for many, many decades, since the 60s, really, until uh, very recently in most countries of the world including North America and Europe. And uh, integrated pest management is just a combination of all the techniques that we know to manage agriculture, but respecting the natural ecosystems, respecting the trees, the shrubs, the the weeds that grow around the fields. Um, And instead of having uh, these massive fields, which only a a monoculture or whatever, soya beans or or corn, uh, just we divide up the the land, the smaller pieces, and plant trees in between, and shrubs. And instead of having just one monoculture, we can have several crops, multi-cropping. And instead of having uh, year after year a cultivation on the same land and replenishing the, the nutrients with artificial fertilizers, we can have crop rotation. So one year we plant uh, corn, but the next one we leave it fallow and we put sheep or, uh, or cattle in the area. And the, the, the cattle and the sheep fertilize the, 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 the soil, you know. And the next year we can plant beans or something else. Uh, that agriculture has been practiced, as I say, for decades in many areas. And it's still been practiced in many countries in South America, in, in developing countries, in, in Asia and uh, in, in Africa. And studies that I've read recently, and they have been published in the last two or three years, have shown that they produce the same or even more sometimes than the intensive systems that we have. And they use 
little pesticides. Why? Because one of the, the um, principles of integrated pest management is not just the restoration of the habitat, but the minimization of uh, artificial chemicals, in particular pesticides. And within pesticides, insecticides. So integrated pest management only uses insecticides as the last tool when there is a, uh, a pest outbreak that needs to be contained. Other than that, it relies on the natural enemies, of, which are insects and other animals, which usually live uh, in the crop or around the crop, and they can control those pests. They can avoid the, the pest outbreak in the first place. So that's how integrated pest management is based, and the same thing applies to, to weeds. So those systems work, use very little input of artificial chemicals, and so they don't contaminate the environment, and they produce the same or even more than the intensive agriculture and that we practice nowadays. So we have to come back to that. And come back because I say in, in countries like uh, yours in America and in Europe and here in Australia, that has been turned around in the last two or three decades because the chemical companies want to sell more of the products. Okay, and they have designed what they call uh, systemic insecticides, which are applied from day one, from the day they plant the crop. Those crops and the seeds are coated with these systemic insecticides, which are a killer. They really eliminate all insects, you know, because they make the plants poisonous. So any insects that come to, to the crop, to eat the crop, uh, are killed. And the predators that come to, to eat those uh, insects, they get killed as well. Okay, so everything gets killed. And that's really the opposite of what integrated pest management um, advocates, which is to use insecticides only as the last resort, not as the first. Right? So we have turned the tables around and for the last two or three decades, and that has had a huge impact in this decline of insects worldwide. So we had to come back to restore integrated pest management. And that will solve the problem. That uh, will reduce the uh, insecticide contamination and, and the impact. And it will, we won't lose any productivity at all. Mm. Yeah, so you're pointing to a much more holistic um, approach to agriculture, which, you know, as you mentioned, you know, it's only been in the past 50, 60 years, I don't even know, not, not too long, not even a whole century since we started doing what we've been doing with agriculture. Um, so we can easily, I mean, we could look to older methods that worked and yeah, you're, you're pointing to, to very practical ways in which we can go back to that. Um, one thing I wanted to ask just sort of a lingering question, which is if, if say a farmer were to recognize what you're saying, right? They're like, okay, we cannot do this any longer. We want to move over to something different and they figure that out. Now, let's say that the land that they've been using, they've been intensively, uh, spraying pesticides, insecticides, herbicides, all the different kinds of chemicals on that land for, let's say, a couple years, however long. And they want to, like, restore the soil back to its original health. They want to they detoxify the yes. soil. Like, I imagine that would be a very difficult process because from my understanding of these these chemicals is that not only do they stay in the soil, but they spread out. And that's why we're seeing all of these wide-ranging impacts that aren't even directly 
on agricultural land anymore. I mean, we're seeing these chemicals spill into waterways. It gets into all kinds of different things. So, I mean, if, if you were to like, if there were somebody listening right now and they're like, okay, I, I don't want to use chemicals anymore. And I want to, I want to, I want to try something different. I want to bring the soil back to proper health um, and help and help with the insect populations in my region. I mean, it, it, what is the, what is the difficulty of that? I mean, how difficult is it to do that? And, and would there be any sort of recommendations that you would have for them? Yeah, and you just pointed out to that, and you just mentioned <laughs> the problem, which yeah. is the persistence of many of these chemicals. Yeah, um, yeah, that not all chemicals are persistent. Some of them are, but others are not. And so, it, it, yeah, it won't. That restoration won't happen over time, or over. I mean, overnight. Uh, it will take maybe two or three years, depending on, on the intensity of the applications that happened before in each land, and also in the regions. In regions which are, uh, well, let's see, drier, it probably will take longer because the pesticides stay there longer. But if it rain, if it's in a wet region, like in tropical areas, where there is a lot of rainfall, and that rainfall usually um, washes off a lot of residues and brings them to the rivers, of course, but at least washes the, the, the soil. That will be much faster, right? But yeah, it's, it's not something that's going to happen from one year to the next. No, it may take a few years, as uh, you say, and it's hard to predict depending on the conditions of the environment. But it's possible, and it's possible, and uh, particularly if um, that land, for example, is uh, done in crop rotation, as I mentioned before, the changing from the crops that are currently being grown there to something different, to use animals, cattle, or something else, that recovery could be faster, okay? Yeah, but it, it is possible, that's the thing. So it's just, now you're talking to, say, okay, farmer, then you need to change to this new system. Yeah, I know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's particularly hard in areas where the farmers live in isolation, like in many areas of the United States, in the, in the Midwest, they are huge uh, farms, we only managed by one family. Uh, it's very difficult for them, you know. Uh, they will have to start employing more people to <laughs> cultivation of different crops, investing more, and, and that's not easy. Uh, can it be done? Yes, if there is incentives for the from from the state. I mean, that's what governments are there for. We know governments have been giving incentives for mining, for uh, exploration, or to find uh, oil, for example, things like that. And they give thousands and millions of dollars to these companies to do it, you know, and tax breaks and things like that. Well, I suppose governments could do the same thing with the farmers to to take them away from the current methods and to to change the, 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 the system that we are using, give them incentives, you know. So... For a little while, for a few years, you know, until they, they can recover the land. Do something about it, you know. I, I, I don't have the answers, but I think the governments have to help farmers to, to change the ways. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There has to be some help um, in, in sort of transitioning to a, a more, a less destructive and a less disruptive um, form of agriculture. I, I completely agree. Um yeah, I think, you know, going over your 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 um your review here and you know, I know that what you've done is you've uh, accumulated and, and gathered 
uh, research from various different studies. I think you said 73 different studies. So I think that what you've done is incredibly valuable because oftentimes I think people look at maybe one, like I mentioned, there was one study that's done in Germany or they see one study done in uh, you know, Puerto Rico or Costa Rica or something. And they're like, okay, we kind of get an idea. It's a very fractured idea, but we get a, a little bit of a glimpse that's happening globally. And then when you come along and you're like, okay, here's all the studies and let's put them together. Okay. Here's a more global understanding of what we're facing right now. And I mean, right now, I think we're at a really crucial period, a really crucial moment in our, our species history where we have to make very difficult decisions um, we have to make a very difficult decision to decide, do we really want to help facilitate a mass extinction event, basically? I mean, it's, it's really that big. And, you know, there's multiple factors in that. I, I talk a great deal about climate change on this podcast, but I, I know that there's so many different factors that go into why this is happening. And I think what you pointed to in this, uh, in this uh, work that you've done and in this interview, I mean, it points to the fact that Oh, it's, it's really just a matter of perspective, too. It's a matter of how we approach something as important as agriculture. Um, we can make really, they're big decisions, but they're decisions that we can absolutely make if we choose to do it. Um, that's my, I guess, my takeaway from that. <laughs> um, for, you got it very well. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, and I'm really glad that I was able to find some contact information and get a hold of you. Um, I, I can't recommend your work enough for people that are interested in this subject especially, but I think fitting it into the bigger global picture, we need to understand what's happening to our insects on this planet. And so I really thank you for it. I I was able to find your paper, the title uh, of which is The uh, Worldwide Decline of uh, Entomofauna, excuse me, Entomofauna, thank you, a review of its drivers. Um, I, I ha- I'll put a link to that paper in the description of this episode. Uh, and there's also like articles. I know The Independent, I know you had an interview with The Real News. Um, there's a few other uh, sites that have covered your work. Um, yeah. Are there any other resources that you would like to direct people towards? Um, let me see. You just got me out of hand. There are not many, actually. It's, it's, it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> in the, um, there's a lot of things, publications, as you mentioned, um, in the media. Uh, there are many others. I got some of them. If you want uh, the links, I can provide them to you. Yeah. Even before, uh, I think you said that you read some articles before the, my our article was published. There was one in the New York Times in November mm. last year. Mm. It was called uh, "Insect Apocalypse" or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, I'm not sure. You, you probably know that one. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah, but, I'll, I'll leave. No, that I don't have any more. <laughs> okay. No, that's okay. I just wanted to make sure that we know about you and, and what you're doing. And, and I guess maybe my last question for you is, what are you working on now? What, what upcoming uh, projects or, or research or anything like that that you're, that you're currently working on that we can look forward to? Yeah. Well, um, I must say, um, I just left the university. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now working in the Department of the Environment here in, in Australia. And one of the things I want to do is to change the, the registration of chemicals. Um, it's, 
it's something that uh, we've been making huge mistakes for many years, and uh, the same chemicals shouldn't have been registered at all, you know, for use in agriculture and veterinary. So I'm working on that because I think it's important with all the knowledge I gathered in the previous <laughs> years, uh, I think I can contribute to do that and to make a safer uh, agriculture from now on. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I I wish you the best of luck in that. I mean, we have a lot of people rooting for for people like you to do what you're doing. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, thanks to you. Thanks. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Last Born in the Wilderness. Have a wonderful week. And as a psychedelic bard, Terrence McKenna said, take it easy, dude, but take it. Take it.